Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Good morning, Melissa. Good morning, Lisa. We are like halfway through summer. How are your kids doing? How's it going over at your house? Mm, Well, we're pretty focused on the wedding that's just a few days away. So there is tons of yard work and things to do to prepare. So um, it's a mix of kids having time for fun, but also needing them to contribute to the family. Wedding stuff is so fun. I'll come and be part of your family. Well, that'd be awesome. I think you should. I think you should come to the wedding. It's going to be in our yard, on our new patio. It's going to be, I think it's going to be beautiful. I hope so. We're really, really close now. So everyone pray for good weather. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. We should have good weather. You know, my husband is a state climatologist for the state of Idaho and he has archival weather data going back I don't know how many hundreds of years, and this is a good weekend for a wedding. We should be safe, so hopefully. <laughs> That's all. Serious. Did you pick? Did Hannah pick that day because of that? Yeah, because of oh, the yeah. weather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're going to have your wedding in your yard, you got to plan around the weather. Yeah. Oh my so gosh, yes, that cracks me up. A couple different weekends, and that were the most optimal for good weather. So yeah, we hope it it all comes true. Speaking of weddings, our guest this week has a post that went viral and that turned into a book and all of these different things. And the book is about her husband's walk down the aisle to her. The book is called The Seven Longest Yards. And it comes out today. And we were able to grab Emily Norton for an interview besides having a super interesting and fun viral story about her husband and how he, even as a paraplegic, walked down the aisle to her. They are also foster and adoptive parents. They are. It was a really delightful interview. Um, She's a young mama, you know, so it was really fun and sweet to talk with her. Anyhow, she, yes, what happened was he was, he had a spinal cord injury in a college football game. He had only a 3% chance of ever moving from below his neck, and he just made truly kind of a miraculous recovery. But his initial goal was to walk across the stage at his college graduation. And he worked intensively in therapy to make that happen with Emily helping him. And uh, that video went viral. And then later when they decided to get married, he set a goal to walk down the aisle with her. And so it's really lovely. In fact, the cover of the book has a picture of the two of them walking um, down the aisle, and it's, it's just lovely. But what made this interview especially interesting for all of us is that they are foster and adoptive parents. They're young. They've only been married uh, a little over a year, and they have already fostered 17 children and have adopted five daughters, including a sibling group of four sisters under nine years old and a 19-year-old who Emily had mentored for many years. So it was delightful to talk with her. They are learning and growing. And I think one of the things that's most lovely about their story is how God has given them a platform to share their passion for foster care and adoption. And you'll hear all about that in the interview. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Hi, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be on here. 
Well, I'm really happy to have you on here. I really just met you because I received an advanced copy of your book, The Seven Longest Yards, and I read the entire thing cover to cover because once I started, I wanted to know your whole story. Why don't you just tell us your story of meeting your husband and the overall arch of that? Yeah, absolutely. So my husband is Chris, Chris Norton. He suffered a spinal cord injury playing college football uh, and it, it was in his neck. He was actually paralyzed from the neck down and he was given a 3% chance to ever move anything below his neck. Um, and he is a fighter and the most determined person I know. I didn't know him at the time that he was injured. We actually met about three years after, but I've heard him talk about it a lot. <laughs> know it really well. So he, the doctors, when they told him you have a 3% chance, he's like, no way, not me. That's not going to happen. And he started, he put his trust in God and he started working as much as he could, taking the extra step and the extra um, work to just make his goals happen. And when I first met him, we met online and that was one of the first things he told me was about this big dream of his to walk across the stage at his college graduation. And I thought that was just amazing. Like he was, first of all, using his story of what had happened to him in the adversity phase to give back and help others. Um, But then he also had this dream to just show others what's possible when you have God and when you work hard. Um, So me and him kind of just, we teamed up together. We had an instant connection um, with our, just with who we were with our relationship. And then we teamed up with this big goal to walk across the stage. Um, We did everything we could, worked every single day. I was his personal trainer on the side. um, And he's, he is still in a wheelchair. So, I mean, just to make that clear, he's still using a wheelchair, um, has limited movement, but he fought to make this happen. And and so before his college graduation, he was able to walk to get his diploma and he made it happen. And then it actually was crazy. It went viral and um, millions and millions of people saw it, which we never expected at all. We literally had one of our friends videotaping it and that's it. So there's no news crew. We had no idea we were going to end up on national media. Like that was um, just God using this story to impact people. Well, tell us a little bit, just because it's super fun, tell us a little bit of the flurry of what happened with the media after that video went out. It was honestly the next day, all of a sudden, we have a message from Fox and Friends. Hey, we want you to come to the studio. We were in Iowa at the time in Des Moines and do a Fox and Friends interview live. We're like, wait a second, hold on. Like I was so not used to interviews or anything like that at the time. And then after that, it was just like this snowball effect of NBC Nightly News and Good Morning America. And they flew us out to New York City. And it was just absolutely insane what happened after that. But it was totally like we were, we were not prepared for it at all. But it's pretty amazing how God will use the things that are hard and the things that are difficult to um, impact other people and inspire other people. We had so many messages, hundreds if not thousands of messages of people reaching out in terrible situations and saying things like they finally have hope again or they know that they need to keep working hard and you've motivated me to do more or I finally like I don't believe in God but I'm like starting to like think maybe there, that's a possibility like just these amazing things were coming back from it which was awesome to be able to see the impact that something like that can make. Yeah, it's really impressive. I've looked, I've watched all the videos now, showed them to my kids because they are so inspiring. And, you know, apart from God, I mean, 
none of this, none of this would have happened this way no. because his plans are so much bigger than ours, right? Yes. Oh yeah. That's something that we keep learning is that God a lot of times has better plans for you than you think you have um, or that you have for yourself. Like he's got yeah. some amazing plans, things that you could never imagine in store for you um, when you just put your faith in him and lean on him. So after that big, emotional, intense, incredible thing, somewhere in there, you and Chris also got engaged, right? Yes. Yeah, he actually, okay, he, he proposed the day before the graduation walk. <laughs> so he put all of that into one weekend, which I thought was pretty crazy. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. That's yeah. a, Well, and until people read the book, they won't really understand what it took. Mm-hmm. day by day for him to be able to make that walk. I mean, oh, you yeah. even moved to work with a, a special therapist. We did. To help yes. him gain this ability. I mean, you, you all poured yourselves into this goal. We did. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. No, it was a lot of hard work and um, just like something that we completely focused on. And it was all obviously God had this amazing plan that he was unfolding. And he put that just determination and hard work in both of our hearts. And um, it was cool to be able to see how it played out with all that hard work going into it. So after all of that, in your story, you share that then things started to sort of unravel for you emotionally. Do you want to share about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I I think it kind of has to start from when I was younger and I've always had this, um, this desire and passion inside my heart to just help other people. Like I love helping other people um, come from an amazing family where I've always had the love and support and care. And um, so I I started realizing as a child that there's so many people out there who don't have that. I'll never forget. I watched about an orphanage on TV when I was like five, six years old. And I saw babies lined up on racks and dirty, just dirt on the floor and one light in the room and kids wearing basically nothing in the, just running around. And I could not believe it. And like, I was hooked like at that moment like it is so vivid in my mind still um but i truly believe like god was just putting all the pieces together um so when i was in high school i did what i could to reach out to kids who were struggling or who were going through difficult situations and i started mentoring and i mentored at an elementary school where i met whitley and whitley was in third grade and um usually kids are like all right like come sit by me and they're all about that and whitley like had some guard up for some reason i didn't understand at all Anyway, I stayed in touch with her and then she ended up getting taken away from her mom and placed into foster care. At that time, I'm like, hold on, like there's kids in our country, like kids that I know that don't have families, who don't have parents who love them and supportive of them. Moment that sticks out in my mind right now is just, I took when Whitley, so Whitley was placed in a group home with staff just coming in and out and lots of other kids that were actually older than her. She was 11 and she was in place from 12 all the way up to 18. So she was around a lot of negative influences. And so I drove her mom up. She didn't have a ride. We went to there to go visit Whitley. And when she was saying goodbye, Whitley looked at her mom and tells her, I love you. And her mom blanks there back, nothing. And she said it again and nothing. I'm over there crying. Whitley's crying. Like she just got taken away from everything she knows. Like it was heartbreaking. I felt so terrible. I just wanted to take her home with me. And her mom is just no reaction. Like just, you, you can tell she just like is so cold and doesn't, didn't care. And then I, Whitley left and I asked her mom, I'm like, well, doesn't this bother you? Like that your daughter's here and just nonchalant. Nope. I've dealt with this with my other daughter before. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started like growing hate in my heart. I didn't understand it. I, I never 
put myself of like, how did this, this lady get into the place she was in? But it just went to hate. And I started growing hate in my heart for these people who could do these to the kids. I just didn't understand it. And I, again, I was in high school at the time. So still very young. And with the family I had, it just was, are you kidding me? Multiple moments where people had opened up to me because again, I just like tried to help people. And I didn't realize that as I'm extremely independent, extremely, like I want to do everything myself. I hate help from anybody. And I'm, that's just in me. <laughs> so I would take these things that people were telling me and the, the hard things I'd put on my shoulders and in my heart. And I'd feel it not like them, but like I would very much put myself in their shoes, try to. Um, and it drove my passion and my motivation to do something. But um, at the time for years, I didn't realize how much of a toll it was playing on me. And I was carrying that responsibility on my own shoulders of like, it's my responsibility because I had a great life. Like I have a great life, great parents who love me to help these kids who don't have that. I mean, as you can imagine, <laughs> like I, then I did a group, I did an internship at a group home with teenagers and that's really kind of what pushed me over that edge of, you know, really struggling because I, I was around these teenagers who I've always been able to like see the big difference that I was making when they, these kids have love and um, care and all of that. But then at that place, these were kids who were in a safety cottage who had not learned to be safe, who were self-harming, who were trying to commit suicide. Um, literally, I found a girl tying a belt around her neck and it was completely bruised and had to tell the staff to get it off of her. Um, extremely um, just intense environment with kids who were very unsafe. And so I started feeling like, what can I actually do? Mm-hmm. Like there's, man, there's a lot I can't do in these situations. And I uh, started feeling like, I mean, I just started closing myself off to those feelings because it was so hard and so much that I was feeling where, and then it felt like when I got to the point where it felt like maybe it wasn't even helping. And it was like, it's not, it's not worth it to feel all of this when I feel like I can't even do anything. Mm-hmm. So I lost who I was and went into a very dark depression um, and was in just had no hope, felt like things were never going to get better, um, stopped caring as much. Like, and that's me, like I'm somebody who cares and feels deeply. And so that was disappearing. Um, and instead of, I started feeling more angry, like anger was an easier feeling. So I would just get angry instead mm-hmm. of feeling sad. Cause that was easier. We, um, we, have, we have kids like that, right? Oh yeah. And that's, yeah. that's a big thing that's been able to help me understand a lot of these yeah. kids. It's so true. Like I even remember a moment where Chris was like, do you realize how your anger is affecting the people around you and affecting me? And I was like, I don't care. Like if you had any idea how it was affecting me, you would be glad I'm angry and I'm not feeling anything else. Um, and I was so, so, so set on that for a long time. And with just being so independent and not wanting to depend on God, I went away from God. I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to admit I needed help or think that I would ever need help. I also felt like, why would I go through something like this when I had gone through nothing hard? Um, I've been able to put the pieces together of kind of why I feel like I went down that path, but sometimes there's no reason for it. And the chemicals or whatever get messed up. And so eventually I was able to get back in church and start praying again. Um, and asking talk, for talk a little bit about that story. Cause that's a sweet story where basically all of a sudden this church came to you. Yeah. Right? yeah I mean, like so, it was across the street practically, right? Yes. There is a new church that came up. Um, there was a building there that I think used to be like a video studio or something. And this church bought it. And all of a sudden we see like Christ fellowship, literally like right across the street. Like we could see it from our apartment complex. (laughs) And so we started going there and that's what 
gave me the strength. That's what changed everything. I, there was a message one of the first times, if not the first time that we were there, that the pastor said sometimes people go through different you know, challenges and struggles to, to take away what is not going to help them with their purpose in life and like the plans that God has for them. Like there was a lot that I needed to learn. I needed, and he even made the comment of like, sometimes people who are independent and don't depend on God and depend on themselves will go through a hard time to realize like you can't, you can't survive and like live a purposeful um, life without depending on God. Like that's, so that was like honestly what has made me a great mom and foster mom and adopted mom is being able to depend on him and not putting that on my shoulders um which i learned during that time which i don't think i could still be a foster parent or i don't think we'd be an adoptive parents either if i didn't learn to depend on god and learn to take like these stories of what these kids have gone through you have to meet them where they are but then you have to let it go and you can't carry that doing every single thing you can to help them through it and with the resources and but then pointing them to god who can change darkness to light and heal these kids from the unimaginable yes so you sought help for your depression you didn't just fix it up on your own you you did get medical help and then you had a lot of spiritual growth and support happening and you were able to pull through that, that really dark time. And, and you talk about that quite a bit in the book, which I thought was really vulnerable and really wonderful because a lot of times we don't talk about it. In a previous interview I did with a foster and adoptive mom who also went through actually like a post-adoption depression, we yeah. talked about the fact that sometimes we're afraid to admit this because we're afraid that they won't license us for foster care. Yeah. You right. know? And she said, she's a medical provider. And she said, actually, I think... When people can demonstrate that they can recognize when they need help and get it, that's a strength. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think sometimes we're afraid, you yeah. know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had so many fears of getting help too. Um, a lot of fears of that, like felt like I was weak or felt like I'd never be able to survive in life if I got help because I had never gone through anything difficult. So like, what would I do when I actually went through something difficult? It was definitely... Like in it, I didn't see it, but now it was, a, I'm so thankful I went through that time. It has helped me to understand kids that we've had in our home and really know what they need. It's been extremely helpful. And I really, I'm, I'm so appreciative and thankful I did. And I can see the way that God is using it to make me a better parent and a better foster parent. And also to just be able to use it to help others know they're not alone. Right. Yes. That's so important. So as you began to recover from this depression, you moved forward on your wedding plans, which had been kind of stalled, right? Right. One, there are a lot of neat things about your wedding story, including another walk, which I want you to talk about. But you got to be on a very cool TV show. And I think you should talk about that because it's just fun. Oh, say yes to the dress. Yes. yes. How fun <laughs> is that? It was, it was so much fun. We love say yes to the dress. I want to find the episode. <laughs> Yes. No, it was awesome. It was such an amazing experience. It really was. Like it was, they, that was the first dress I tried on too, actually. Wow. Like the, the lady that was helping, she just knew. She's like, I saw you. And I knew it was this dress. I'm like, what? How does that even yeah. happen? But it, it was. <laughs> that was so a lot great. of fun. And we were able to talk about foster care a little bit too. A little bit, not a lot, but a little. So that was cool. Now you were, were you already fostering at that point? We were. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted you to share that fun little thing, yes. but tell us about, I mean, your wedding had a lot of special things, mm -hmm. but there was one thing that was really well, actually, the most important was that you got married. But there was another thing that was another goal for you. Do you want to talk about that? 
Yeah. So after the graduation walk, like we just knew that we absolutely had to do a wedding walk. Like we had to, because it was so inspiring for so many people and offered hope and, um, helped people. We knew we had to do it. So that was our next goal was Chris is going to walk me down the aisle after we get married. Um, so we worked really hard on that. And so we were fostering at that time, which actually made it a lot easier. Chris did a lot of the planning. And then we also had, um, our documentary crew that helped with different things and found an amazing team, uh, Grow Designs, to design our wedding, which was a blessing and a flower. We had five kids. Like that took, it was really hard to sit there and plan a wedding when we have five kids who also came from very, very hard places and they're in foster care. So that was, it took a lot of stress on my plate. Chris took a role on it more than I did with planning the wedding, but it all, it all worked out and it was an amazing day. And again, God was able to use that to impact a lot of people. Well, and you comment in the book, you know, your relationship with the Lord has grown so much from the time when Chris made his graduation walk with you to the time that you did your wedding walk, God had given you this platform and now you wanted to use this second opportunity to really bring glory to him. And also, as it turns out, promote foster care and adoption. So this was a, another opportunity, but maybe with even some deeper, maybe not deeper meaning, but different meaning for you. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It really was. And that's always a foster care and adoption is so much on my heart. So every single opportunity we get, um, it's been amazing to be able to talk about it, um, with interviews. And, um, that's been just so cool. Cause that's, that is my passion. That's what I love. Like more than anything, I love doing foster care and, um, I mean, adopting our girls obviously too, which came through foster care, but yeah, it was, it was amazing to be able to we went into that, the wedding day with so much peace. Like we just knew in our soul that this was God's plan and that he was going to be able to use this and this platform to impact other people um, and raise awareness for foster care, which is so important. So let's back up now and yes. let's talk about how you came into foster care. I mean, it's pretty amazing. You guys have just passed your first anniversary at the end of April mm-hmm. and you have five children. right so I want to know what got you from we're engaged we're planning this amazing wedding to we've been married one year and we have five children tell us definitely wasn't part of the plan (laughs) um okay so I was 23 Chris was 24 living in an apartment at the time and uh Whitley was 17 and Whitley called Whitley's a girl that I mentored was she was in her 18th placement at the time and had been just Place from place to place, home to home, family members, foster homes, group homes, had tried committing suicide multiple times, was really, really, really struggling um, with with some major mental health issues and and just everything she had been through. So she was 17. They were talking about putting her in a juvenile detention center or a treatment center until she turned 18, and then she was on her own. And she called and asked if we'd be her foster parent. Definitely not the most ideal time, but we knew we had to. Like We thought of the alternative, like what's going to happen if we say no? That was what if she actually follows through and commits suicide and we didn't do everything we could. So like we knew, and I had always stayed connected with Whitley. I loved her so much, had this connection with her so strong more than any other person. And she had always felt like my child, which is really weird because she's only six years younger than me. So <laughs> I've, I've, I've accepted that now, but at the time it was like, this is a weird, weird thing. Um, the feelings that I was having, just like feeling like she was mine. So we ended up fostering her. And so fostering a teenager 
when you're that young and it was hard, very hard. And it, there is a lot of just, she tried pushing us away all the time. And she had this, just this guard up at all times, like to protect herself because she had been hurt by so many people. Like, why would she just jump in and trust us? She had no reason to like every other person that should have taken care of her didn't. And we were her 19th placement, like a 19th placement. So she struggled a lot with just pushing away in that, uh, trying to be able to trust me and Chris was really, really hard for her. Um, So we dealt with a lot of those different things that come with that. And then she had many views that she came with at the age of 17 on the world and what was okay and what wasn't. Like she was disrespectful to a teacher and we kind of laid down the law and she's like, what do you mean? Like, I, this isn't fair. Like this has never happened where I've been in trouble for being disrespectful. I'm like, sorry, not in this house. We're not going to be able to do that. Um, so Whitley was able to graduate high school, but it was really hard. So she turned 18 in April and she had a month left of school. And I overhear a conversation where she is telling somebody that she's dropping out, like, like right before her 18th birthday. She's like, I'm leaving, dropping out of high school. And that was like always our biggest thing. Like in order to live here, you have to be in school. Like you absolutely have to get your education. And it's, that was a very, very big rule for us. We knew it was important. And so we, we really were trying to help push her to do that. I mean, it was like her plan for a while. So that was hard, very hard. But we got to a point, like, we had to have a lot of tough love. And then also, like, letting go of the control of putting it in her court was extremely hard for me. I even offered, like, when she turned 18, like, if you, I will take you to the airport if you want to fly back to Iowa and go back, um, live with your sister, whatever it is. And then when I put it in her court, when I let go of that control, because I was like, I wanted the best for her. So to do that was so hard. But then she did. She ended up making the, the right decision of, like, finishing out high school when she only had a month left and graduating and putting in the hard work and the extra work. And so then she was able to get a little bit more motivated when she kind of figured out what she could lose. Um, but that was really hard to like, let go of that control. But when she was 18, we told her she could continue living with us after she graduated. If she did like any sort of like certification program, any sort of college classes, anything to like kind of help her better herself and follow whatever she was planning on doing, but she was not ready for that at all. So she went back to Iowa, struggled a bit. And then she started college um, and she's, it's been an up and down thing, but she's actually, we just adopted her in December. And that was pretty cool. So she was actually 19 when we adopted her and we were able to make it official. Like in mine and Chris's heart, we knew it was official. We knew it was forever, but for her, she didn't. So we like, we have to adopt her. We have to help her realize that she asked us if we would adopt her. But I do have to say, like, even though we've adopted her, that has not changed those fears for her. She still has like those fears of us just like on adopting her or something like, you know, like things like that of like, they're just going to leave if I mess up or if this happens. Um, those fears and like the trauma she's experienced was so deep that she still struggles with that. It's still a battle to like connect with her um, at the age of 20, even as an adult. Like, and it's hard to, it's harder to remember that um, with her being an adult. It's, I lose my patience more because it is harder, but it's a constant like rem- battle to remind myself that um, she's still struggling with those things and like the way that trauma affected her brain and all of that. It's just trying to 
realize where she's coming from and connect with her um, has been extremely important and like still working on that trust. And it's been 12 years since I've known her and I've never once left, but it's still working on helping her realize like we just love her and we just want what's best for her. And there is no other intentions for it, but we just love her and we're going to be there. So it is, it's, it's a challenge, but it is so worth it. And is she living out of state right now in school? Or so in or living, out of school? Yeah, so she's yeah, she, so she's out of school right now, but she's living with us. Um, she's working, and her plans are to start EMT school um, awesome. this next semester. And I think she's going to be amazing at it. She's like got this heart for just like helping take care of people. Yeah. Um, so she'll be really good at that. That's so great when they figure out how to take their own talents, yeah. but also I'm sure some of her life experience. Oh yeah, you know, will Absolutely. play into helping her be. A really good EMT. Oh, so, yeah. So that's, for, that's for sure. Absolutely. I love hearing that. And yep. as I know, uh, having adult kids, some that are even older than you, parenting does not end. Even yeah. when your kids are in their 20s or 30, you know, I'm sure your mom would attest to the fact that she's still momming you, you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. That's for sure. That is true. <laughs> So Whitley has her own path through your life and how she went from, you know, being a child you mentored to being your foster daughter and now your adopted daughter. Tell us about your first, like, getting licensed, getting the phone call, here's your first placement, and how that all unfolded. Okay, so right after Whitley left, we decided to keep our house open and because we just know there's a huge need. Um, So our very first call was for two little kids. And at the time we're like, well, we're going to be planning our wedding. We've got a lot going on. We're going to take one kid under the age of two. We're like, we're going to start easy right now. And and it's not always easy with that age, but you know, sometimes easier. That's what we we had planned. And then all of a sudden we get this call for a three-year-old little boy and a two-month-old little baby girl. And we, we ended up at first, Chris is like, absolutely not. That happens a lot. (laughs) He's like, Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then I'm like, but what if we, they can't find anybody. What if we just take them for a little bit? And then we end up keeping them as long as they need. <laughs> but, and then he's always like, I'm so glad that we did it. Um, which I think a lot of people could probably relate to. We ended up taking these two little kids and they, we still see them two years later. It has been absolutely an amazing journey with them. Um, they were with us for three months and we were able to stay in touch with their family. Like mom has asked us to be their godparents. We just saw them this past weekend. It is, they're doing really well. They've been reunified. Um, it still hurts. Like, man, I still love those kids like my kids. Like they, they feel like my kids. And I'm like every single time they're with me, I have this ache in my heart because of how much I love and care about them. But then I am also on the other side of it, like so filled with joy and just, I'm so happy with where they are and how their mom was able to fight for them and how well they're doing. But, um, that is, was amazing. And then at, shortly after we, when they left, we ended up with a little boy who was three and he had behavioral issues. We were his fifth placement at three years old, had been kicked out of many different placements, um, had just some major issues going on. So we took in him and we had to just keep it to one for a little while um, because he did. He, he had a lot of like those behaviors and that's when um, we read the book, The Connected Child too. <laughs> that's been <laughs> a saving grace, especially with him, um, with just 
help like the redos. That's a big thing. Just helping to him to redo his behaviors and then praising him um, helped to switch a lot of stuff in his brain because he was at a point where he was with three other siblings with his mom. And the only time he got any attention was when he was the loudest, when he broke the most things, when he got in the most trouble, then the mom paid attention. Otherwise she was kind of doing her own thing. Um, so that was where he was at. Like in order to get any attention, I have to be the loudest. I have to be, make the worst choices, um, break things. He broke many different things. Um, I'll never forget when he was first here is just shows like, you know, trauma and how it affects your brain. I had, we were outside playing in this little swimming pool and I jumped up and I fell and sprained my ankle. And so I was on the ground. Chris was there. Um, and this little boy started kicking and punching me. Um, because I was on the ground saying, ow, and he came from a home of domestic violence. And at first I was like, hold on a second. Like, what are you doing? Like you, at first you're kind of angry because I'm already hurt. Um, but then it hit me and it was like, oh my gosh, this is what he's seen. Mm -hmm. This is what he saw when his mom was down. That's what his dad kept doing. And he's just acting out what he saw and his brain. I'm sure was triggered at that time Mm -hmm. to go back to that. And then he just did what he saw. And then you can come from a place of like the love and compassion because then you understand it more. But that's been very helpful in understanding the behaviors as it always comes from somewhere um, and being patient with it. You don't, you, sometimes you don't have any idea where it comes from either, which that's when it gets harder to be patient. Yeah. Um, but with him, he started about, about six months, I would say, he started making like drastic changes. You could tell he was feeling safe and loved. Um, Fast forward a while to his birthday and we had fourth birthday, um, everything planned to have a fun celebration. And he looks at me and says, I just, I hope that today's not ruined. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, we're like, what, why would it be ruined? He's like, well, my mom cried on my birthday last year and she ruined it. So, and then just, he had such a great birthday and just fine. Like he started realizing how special he was, but it was really hard for a long time. Mm -hmm. So a few months after we had him, when things kind of started slowing down, we decided like me and Chris both had this in our heart that we felt like we could foster more kids and that God was calling us to do something more. We actually, we decided that we had a placement call for three little kids and said yes, but then we had to go buy a bigger vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) Two for a while. And then we had got a bigger vehicle so we could fit them. And then after they, they, they stayed for a few weeks, but I had this strong, strong feeling that God was about to place some kids with us. That was part of this big plan that it was going to be more than what we ever had expected or thought we could do either. So we were on vacation and me and Chris were talking and out by the stars one night. And I was like, I have this feeling that we're about to get a placement of like four kids, twins or like a drug addicted baby or something, right? <laughs> like something big is happening. And the next day, I'm not kidding you. We're on the beach and we get a, a text from our licensing agent about four kids, four girls that were coming into foster care. Craziest thing about it, and I didn't, I, I became very emotional at first, and usually I don't do that. I've heard a lot of terrible stories, and like, at first I don't get emotional, but for some reason I was already really emotional, and then I realized I knew the two older girls, which was crazy, and just all part of God's plan, um, and his timing, like we just had beds available, and those three kids, if they didn't leave, we wouldn't have the beds available for these four, and so we had it, and me and Chris had again talked through it, but I had known those girls previously because I worked at a group home. I was extremely connected to them. So here they are over a year later and we become foster parents. I wasn't foster parents at the time um, when I was working there. And then all of a sudden we are foster parents and we have beds available for them. 
So they come to our house. <laughs> this, that right there alone has helped me trust God's timing so much and have so much peace for his timing because mm -hmm. I'm somebody who hates waiting and I like having things planned and like knowing what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But that has taken that off so much just alone, just having the beds available for them. And those are the four girls that we fostered for. We just adopted all four of them in February. So we fostered them for a long time and there have been a lot of challenges, but they're doing really, really well. And the adoption helped them a lot with the safety, a lot. Um, there's so many fears that they had, um, that we had to work through with them about us leaving. But the adoption for them was honestly like a light bulb switch. Um, of just helping them like have this like safety net and knowing, and I know that's not always the case, but it has been, that that's been really helpful with that. Do you think it's, uh, the safety partly from knowing they will never have to be moved again? Yes. Like, this oh, is yeah. home. Yep. This Absolutely. Is, this is the last mom and dad I'll ever have to. Yes. That's what it is. Test yep. and get to know and. Right. No. So we had a few of our daughters um, who had these major fears of having to be moved from our house. Mm -hmm. There is a, a half sister that was trying to get them, and they were terrified. Um, our one daughter, I'm not kidding you, would shake at bedtime. Like once she figured that out, that there was a half sister trying to get them, she was just in panic mode. Like everything was so hard because she was so afraid, and the fear stemmed from having to leave us. Um, and then our little five-year-old Izzy, she had these major fears as well. Like I'm, I think almost every single night she would cry. And then when I figured out what was going on, it was, I think you're going to go far, far away. I think you're going to leave and you're going to go far, far away. And just these, oh, just heartbreaking fears, but are so like understandable with how many times they had been moved and people they had lost. Yeah, it's very understandable. It, I mean, I think all of us, feel like, wow, we can't imagine living through what our kids have lived through, you know? Right. Oh, absolutely. It's really heartbreaking, but what a gift for them to have their forever family now. Yeah, I know. They, they're such a gift. And um, there's a lot of things that we did too, like with the safety and helping them know that they're safe that I um, think are some good practical things that were really helpful that we kind of just kind of like figured out accidentally, actually. Um, Can you share yeah, yeah, sure. yeah absolutely. So one was just an oil diffuser and we was, we, it was our monster spray. So you saw it coming out like the, in their kid's room, they saw it coming out and they picked out, like I took our one daughter was really, really struggling. She had opened up about some severe abuse and then, um, she was like really, really struggling. And so I took her to target. I'm like, these are all of the monster sprays. It's just the oils. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you pick out whatever one you like the best, but no monsters will be able to be at our house. If you, if we have this, 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 um, this spray, the smell makes them so sick and they can't come. They just cannot come near it. Um, so she picked out her smell and then it was in her brain, like kind of closing off, like realizing that she's safe um, because we know they're safe, but they don't. And there's right. no reason for them to know they're safe because they never have been. That was really helpful. The oil diffuser. Then also spray. I mean, we've done like that too, of like rubbing some of that on their hands or something to like, you've got the monster spray right on you. No monsters can get you. Um, a magic blanket, which was a weighted blanket. 
was super helpful. Like, I mean, just a weighted blanket in itself, but we referred to it as the magic blanket. Like this is your magic blanket that keeps you safe. When you have this, you are so, so safe. Like no one can hurt you. No monsters can get here. Like even though we know monsters aren't real, like they don't and they think that they are. Alarms, like we got an alarm system actually with how the fears one of our kids was fearing. So that was helpful. But even if you just got like the little alarms that um, are a few dollars, like you can get a pack off Amazon that you stick on your door. And when the doors open, the alarm goes off and let your kid turn it on and hear the sound and put it on all of your doors or windows or whatever it is, where they know if somebody tries coming into this house, you hear the, like the alarm's going to go off and they are safe. And one other thing was helpful. We, we had a little girl who, or a kid who was with us and she w- opened up about some very, very, severe, like just breaks your heart abuse um, that she had suffered. And she, when she opened up about it, that was really hard for me to hear. Um, She had been sexually abused and in for her opening up about that. Oh my gosh. It was, it just like in talking about it, like a little girl who should never know any of that. And she's talking about it in detail and it just, oh my gosh, I can't, that was probably the hardest moment one of the hardest moments of my life. But anyway, after she opened up about it, then she started having a ton of flashbacks and like she was in all out crisis mode. And we felt like lost with what to do. Everything was just so hard, like getting her out of bed and getting her dressed, um, getting her to school, like her homework. We didn't do homework for a little while because she couldn't. Like I had to tell her teacher, we can't do it. It sends her, sends her into panic mode and crisis mode. And like, it's just not something we can do right now. The monster spray was something that really helped with the oil diffuser. But then a, a we came up with this little stuffed animal that was ZB. She named it ZB. And ZB was, she got her up in the morning. ZB, we made up a whole story and I did it with her where ZB was in foster care. And ZB wasn't able to stay with his parents anymore because he wasn't safe. And like, she started adding details too of like, he, her, um, her dad hurt her and put a bandaid on her and like all this stuff. And then every single day we would get up, I went, I bought little, little clothes, like um, preemie clothes for this little stuffed animal Mm -hmm. and shoes. And we had a toothbrush and everything. So when she got up in the morning, instead of like focusing on getting ready and being so overwhelmed with where she was at, she was focusing on this, this ZB and getting ZB dressed. And when ZB was dressed and she would get dressed and they'd pick matching outfits out (laughs) and matching shoes. Oh my gosh. It was something that kind of just happened and it was a huge godsend. I don't now know. How, how, old, how old was that little girl? Five years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So she was Great. five. Yeah. And that was something where we were able to get through the days. And then what pulled her out was just giving her like heart to God and mm-hmm. uh, asking God to take everything away. And that's something we like to do with the kids. Mm-hmm. Something I've realized that's so important um, is surrendering to God, those things. Um, and then helping the kids to do that as well like realizing this isn't just like a one-time thing. Like we, I've done it with multiple kids that we fostered, like get down on our knees and just give it to God, throw it out the window. We flushed things, flushed it down the toilet, like different thoughts, whatever it is, like in that moment, you got to, you have to get creative with a lot of stuff um, to just help them to get rid of it. And it's not, again, it's not a one and done thing. Like you have to keep getting rid of it because it's going to keep coming back. Um, But that was a thing that kind of helped her pull out of it was 
getting down on her knees and asking God to take it all away. And that's been something we've seen with a lot of our kids when they're struggling about worrying about their parents um, and uh, just different things like that of just the same thing, like surrendering it to God and leaning on him during those hard times. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. You, you have a lot of creativity. I love that. I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm not a very creative person, but like things have, I mean, I've, I've done, you know, the connected child has helped a lot with like my mindset of understanding mm-hmm. trauma in the brain and behaviors. And then also just praying and God has equipped me and us with these different things and skills that have helped so much. And I truly believe like when God calls you to something that he will equip you with what you need to do it and get through it. And so that's been a, a something that we've continued to see over this whole journey. So how old are your girls now, your adopted daughters? Yes. So we have a three-year-old, five-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, and then 20 years old. <laughs> okay. All so good. I am guessing that your days are very full. Oh yeah. With oh, your yeah. girls. <laughs> so they're in school, but school's about to end, right? Yes. Next week. Yep. Yes. (laughs) You have a big summer ahead of you. We do. Are you, um, do you have any help? We do. So my sister lives close. Um, and then her fiance helps a lot too, but yeah, so she's very, very helpful and, um, is able to just give support and all of that. Um, and then we are continuing to foster as well. So we that was my next question. Oh yeah. (laughs) I'm jumping in. Yeah. no, Um, No, Cause I, we just bought a bigger house. We were crammed in our house. We were just, we were, we needed a bigger space and we wanted to continue fostering. We know the need. We know we have the different tools and love to give and um, just are able to help kids feel they're special. Like everyone needs to know. So we did, we just got a bigger house. It's going to have six bedrooms working on building an extra bedroom in the den. So we'll have enough space, but we just fostered two little kids and that was amazing as well. Like every single time it's, it, always hard to have them leave. But I, again, focus on the perspective of doing what I can do with the time I have. And then like at the end, you know, you did everything you possibly and being able to support their family too. And uh, continue the relationship is one of my favorite parts of fostering. Um, But yeah, we love fostering. (laughs) So we're continuing it. uh, Is there a limit of how many kids you can have in your home in your state? Yeah, so the limit's five, um, but they do waivers. Um, and so Whitley wouldn't count since she's older, since she's an adult. So we'll be licensed for one other kid, but the same thing, we just were able to take a sibling group of two little kids because they, they like to keep siblings together. So yeah. um, it is five, but they can always do a waiver to do a little bit more if needed. So for you, what has been the biggest challenge or some of the biggest challenges of foster care and adoption? Let's say one big challenge is... Just, hmm, I mean, I'm trying to think about like the a biggest one because there's definitely a lot of challenges. You don't have to choose the biggest. Just okay, what's, just what's, some of the challenges. Well, yeah. so I would say that really staying in the moment and not focusing on the future and the, focusing on the things that are out of your control is hard. Um, like letting go of that control is really, really, really difficult, but something that's so important I've had to do it, but I have to keep reminding myself to do like, you can't control this and I'm going to focus on what I can control. So I'd say that's a daily battle of like just focusing on 
again, focusing on like the progress and what you can control in the moment you're in instead of the future, what's going to happen or how long this child's going to be here, or if they're going to go somewhere safe or what, a, you know, there's millions of fears you can think about. So trying right. to stay in the moment um, and then obviously saying goodbye to these kids when you, that's like probably, I mean, I would say that's the hardest mm-hmm. and the most that just, just breaks your heart is that of having to say bye, but I've never had it where it wasn't worth it. It's always been worth it um, through the heart. And I know how to go to God during that time when a lot of these kids like don't have the skills they need to like get through not knowing love or care or being in a safe place and being separated from siblings. So um, I try to look at it that way. That's great. That's great. And then what would you say have been some of your greatest joys of doing foster care? So, I mean, one thing that's just pretty recent that pops into my head, we just had a little six-year-old girl with us who um, was able to pray for the very first time. And she had this desire to know God, like a kid I've never known, but in her, like she wasn't able to know about God. So she came into our house and she really wanted to. But the first time she was with us, she's like, I can't pray. And we're like, okay, that's fine. Like we will never ever, we'll always support what the kid wants. But then that night, our girls actually got around her and they started singing songs to her. It was so sweet. It's a night that honestly, it makes me cry when I think about it because the love that they're able to give because they know what it's like to be in that situation. They took this little girl and helped her feel so safe and so loved and so special. And they kept saying words of like, you are special, you are loved and praying with her. And then all of a sudden she's like, I want to pray. And so she prayed for the first time. And then, um, and that continued, like she kept asking about God and praying and she's got this faith now in God. And so she left recently, but like that gave me so much peace knowing that she wasn't alone and that she had God if she was going through any difficult times. Um, So that'd be, I would say that's been really cool. And that's with all of the kids we've had or a lot of them is helping them to go to God and to learn about him and um, just it has helped them so much with difficult moments and um, just helping them know they're special and loved, I would say is by far like a great joy that you get when you're fostering or adopting. Um, Cause a lot of these kids, they come in, they don't know what unconditional love is. And so they think if they make a bad choice, if they mess up that you don't love them anymore, like that love is gone. So helping to prove and show them that no, like love is here and it's not going anywhere and you're going to have it forever through God and through us. Like no matter what, you'll, we'll always love you. That's a, that's just fills my heart with so much joy. And like that moment where they feel like they're special. That's happened so many different times with the kids we've had where like they've had this like aha moment and it's been doing the little things of making like St. Patrick's Day rainbow pancakes. Our eight year old girl looked up and was like, I think I'm special. Like the first time, months after we had her, she felt special. And it was those little, little moments taking him out for a date or ice cream or whatever it is. Like another thing, another girl looked at me and said the same thing. Like, you're making me feel so special. And it's like almost like it's the first time they've ever felt or thought that when they say it. So I I would say that's another huge joy and just seeing the way that God can transform these kids' lives. And it's not obviously never going to be easy and they're still going to have hard moments, but he really can transform their lives and help them to be filled with peace and happiness, even when they've been through really hard things. Is there one thing, well, one thing's hard, but what are some of the things you're hoping people will take away from the book? Yeah. So I would say that, I mean, um, just realizing there's always hope that God's able to do amazing things and not to limit what he's able to do, that no matter what you go through, no matter what moments you're in, that 
you can get through it when you work hard, when you lean on God, when you ask for help and are okay with depending on other people for help. Um, and then obviously a big thing is just helping to understand a little bit more about foster care and adoption and these understanding the kids. So helping to raise awareness. So more people get involved and more people do what they can to help kids in rough situations. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It has been a joy interviewing you. And I can't wait to see your book just spread all around the world. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You know, I've had a great time. <laughs> well, thank you. Yep. Thanks. What a fascinating story. I am so impressed because my husband is not permanently injured, but we had a season where he had broken his leg in a sporting incident. And I was not a very, I didn't have the patience for it. Let's just put it that way. So the fact that uh, Chris has challenges and then she's also able to have patience for kids with challenges, she has my eternal admiration. Yeah, she is a very determined person. And I also think she's very creative, which is going to go a long way. Her creativity and flexibility will go a long way for her as a foster and adoptive mom. So the, the other thing I wanted to mention, actually, as I come back to it, is, you know, she talks in her book very openly about a debilitating depression she went through. So if that's something that you relate to, you will probably appreciate reading her book as well. So like we said, the book comes out today. The title is The Seven Longest Yards, Our Love Story of Pushing the Limits While Leaning on Each Other by Chris and Emily Norton. Emily's delightful. You can follow her on Instagram at Emily Summers Norton, and you can find them. I'm sure you'll be finding them all over the internet. I found it really fun to Google them and watch their viral video of his graduation. So you can do that too if you want to. Yeah, we'll have all of that at the show notes. We're also going to stick a link to a past episode about fostering and adopting teens with Kristen Berry. That was episode 38 and relevant since Emily shared a little bit about a teen that they mentored and then eventually adopted. All the show notes for today's episode can be found at theadoptionconnection.com slash 45. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.